you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. This is Amy Brown from Four Things with Amy Brown. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways that Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthier happens together. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. Awards Watch says Liam Neeson is at his best. Don't miss In the Land of Saints and Sinners. Having left his dark past behind, retired hitman Finbar Murphy, played by Neeson, leads a quiet life in a remote coastal Irish town. But when a menacing crew of terrorists arrive, Finbar is drawn into a vicious game of cat and mouse, forcing him to choose between exposing his secret identity or defending his friends and neighbors. In the Land of Saints and Sinners, from Samuel Goldwyn Films and Sony Pictures Home Entertainment. Watch it now on digital. Rated R. The Around the NFL podcast he is waiting for Sessler to finish his rant. Welcome to another edition of the Around the NFL podcast. My name is Dan Hansis. I come to you from a virtual room that is filled with heroes. Mark Sessler, Greg Rosenthal, and Chris Wessling. What's up, boys? Hey, Dan. Hey, buddy. Chris Wessling. You know. How about this? Wes, Wes said, I'm going to pick one game to come on and, and make a cameo on the Sunday show today. And if you're going to come on for one game, Wes, uh, how about this? The Cleveland Browns in a playoff game, not just appearing in a game, Mark Sessler, winning a playoff game, not just against any team, but against the Pittsburgh Steelers. How you feeling, buddy? Uh. <laughs> That that aged me, um, and yet it also de-aged me at the same time. I don't know how that's possible. And I, Wes, I really thank you for coming on because I know you know um, we've been through a lot regarding the Cleveland Browns on our show and our own conversations. So um, I, you know, if it is like the the game ended four minutes ago, for me to come on and offer um, tangible, rational thoughts will be a challenge. I will attempt to. I'm just beginning to realize what has happened. I can't imagine what percentage of our listenership thought of Mark when it was about three minutes left in the first quarter. Browns already had two interceptions of Big Ben. They scored on the the missed snap over Big Ben's head, up 21 to nothing, about to go up 28 to nothing. The most points ever scored in a postseason game in the first quarter. And Chris Collinsworth says... I don't think there's a single person in Cleveland who feels comfortable right now. <laughs> and it was uh, yes. it was very prescient by Mr. Collinsworth because things did get interesting 
uh, and we're going to get to all of that, including all the other games in Super Wild Card Weekend, six in total, three Saturday, three Sunday. We're going to cover them all one by one, and we'll go in reverse chronological order, which, yes, takes us to Heinz Field, the site of a massacre. And the snap goes high over the head of Big Ben, all the way back to the two, to the one, and the Browns have it in the end zone, and they dive on the ball and recover it for a touchdown! Carl Joseph's got it in the end zone! A touchdown! Not a bad start. Six-nothing Brown! Not a bad start. (laughs) That was great. Browns Radio Network with the call. The Browns scored 28 unanswered points in the first quarter. White-knuckled their way through the inevitable Steelers' comeback. Then got big plays from their best players to close out a 45 to, excuse me, a 48 to 37 win over the hated Pittsburgh Steelers. The biggest win for this organization since its 1999 reboot by far. Mark, you've waited a long time for this moment. How does it feel to watch your Browns beat the Steelers in fantastic fashion? It feels, um, I don't know, it's uh, the one thing I'd say about the Cleveland fan base, and I really felt this over the course of this week, because um, you knew it was it was win or lose, and uh, it was fans interacting with like Ernest Biner and Eric Metcalf and Bernie Kosar and uh, players of old, and um, Butch Davis chiming in, and uh, Joe Thomas and Andrew Hawkins that so many people I, th- I feel like over the years have wanted to make the Cleveland Browns a fun experience, have tried. Um, players have gone there and toiled and to no results, no no playoff results. Um, and the fans have been through um, utter hell. And there, I, I, you know, I certainly, I think highly of other fan bases that go through the same thing and they show the same loyalty. And um, it's settling in for me. I'm just one person that roots for this team, but I... I knew that I never wanted to walk away from them, and I didn't know if there would ever be a reward. And I don't know as an adult <laughs> that it could ever really... Would it be the same as the seventh or, eight, seventh or eighth grade version of me that lived and died so hard by this team? It cracked through a little bit. It did. I I, I can't... It. It's I love it too, and it, it's, it's not the same as maybe when you were seventh and eighth grade, but... It, I just looking at you right now. I mean, Mark is being mean. The the dichotomy right now between Mark's face at this moment and like it oozing out, and the look on Mark's face at the end of the third quarter when he was conscripted by our jobs at Sky Sports uh, to come on happened to be me and, and Mark in the rotation. Although they they were definitely going to have Mark in the rotation, they weren't going to miss that opportunity. Uh, and at that point, it was fourth down for the Steelers. They had already, um, you know, cut the lead, I think, to 12. It, it's at midfield. Um, and Mark, you know, handled it all very professionally with, when our friend Neil Reynolds uh, 
goes to him, you know, you know, just just trying to poke the how how are you feeling right now, Mark? It's like please, uh, un, you know, unpack your pain and anxiety for all of us. And Mark Mark uh, kind of white knuckled through it, but you know, he took some shots at people who were premature celebrating. He said his confidence level was at about one in one hundred, and uh, and you could feel the the anxiety and everything building up to that moment, and it. It's great to look back to it because uh, that was a turning point. Right after that, Mike Tomlin, you know, punted. Late Christmas gift for uh, Sessler and all the Browns fans there. He there punted. Some weird, yeah, there have been some weird punts this weekend, and that, that might have been uh, at the height a- of it. And, Greg, you, you said put it on Nick Chubb, and soon after Nick Chubb um, scored. And I, I, I think that's the first moment that I started to feel like um, even my own pessimism and anxiety in 20, 30 plus years of fandom um, might not be enough to get in the way. And, and, and you know, t- if anything, the Sky Sports crew <laughs> are total allies. And like, so I, you know, I was, it was, an, it, it, I didn't want to expose my total, um, the real me, which is like, I don't feel positive until like the final whistle of these games. Um, not a great time to be broadcasting myself to the United Kingdom, but uh, it was like five in the morning there, so probably 12 people saw it. Uh, anyways, like, um, it's a I, totally surreal experience. So, yeah, we did we did a bunch of stuff with Sky Sports this weekend, and I, I was doing the hit with Mark after the first quarter when it was 28 nothing, And I get maybe Mark was taking shots at me at, at the end of the third no, quarter. No, no, I, no, no, Just I, 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 decided, it, you know. I declared it over. I mean, 28 nothing. If, if they would have ever, ever blown that game, uh, that would have been maybe the end of the Browns. I don't know what would have happened. That's certainly the end of Mark Sessler to the point where I was texting Greg in a nervous manner. Uh, like, I don't know what we're going to do with the podcast if something bad happens here. Because, Wes, I know uh, you're watching the game as well, and you're noticing the same thing everybody else is. You know, it's 28 nothing, and it's 28-7, and then, oh, then it's 35-7, 35-10, 35-16, 3522 and all of a sudden it's like okay what's going on here did you ever have a doubt Wes or did it always feel like it was in the bag for Cleveland I had doubts I did um just because of who the Steelers are what what their DNA is and who the Browns are and what their DNA is through the years it's like the little brother big brother thing and um I think you tip your cap to Alex Van Pelt who's not the regular play caller and who kept passing the ball, and they kept scoring to answer the Steelers' scores. Tip your cap to Baker Mayfield, who came through on those passes, and Nick Chubb, who is a difference maker. Like, you know, I, I think Greg said it well, put it on Nick Chubb, because all season long, you, you no matter what you think about Baker or Odell or Kevin Stefanski, when you play the Cleveland Browns, you have to deal with Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. That is a championship pack field. One is a rushing champion his rookie year. The other might be the one or two, top one or two best running backs in the NFL. And you have to deal with them every time you play the Browns. Sessler, do you want to hear the Jim Donovan, Doug Deacon call of the uh, Nick Chubb 40-yard touchdown in the fourth quarter? I yeah, yeah I would love to. I'm All right, to. let's hear that. Mark looks post-coitus right On second and ten, he's back to throw. He's got a Brits coming in. Screen pass right side. Here comes Chubb. 35, 30, 25, 20. He's going. He's going. He's gone. Nick Chubb is in. Touchdown. Oh, great job. Great play call right there. There you go, Mark. I'm happy for Jim. Think, imagine, you know, 
Um, I'm one who has occasionally complained about long NFL Sundays, and we've seen a few, but, I mean, Donovan, please. I mean, hey, mm. he's, he, how often is he featured on our show? Because it's he's typically um, you know broadcasting an L, so this is quite different for him. And on, the Pit- and on the Pittsburgh side of things, obviously a terrible loss. The fact, I mean, the fact, just the way it started. For those of us that were lucky enough to be at the game, and everyone else who watched the the famous Seahawks Broncos Super Bowl, where the first snap of the game went over Peyton Manning's head for a safety, and that set the tone for a blowout uh, victory for the Seahawks. This was like that, but worse uh, because somehow it goes over Big Ben's head, Pouncey fires it over his head. And then it gets recovered by the Browns for a touchdown and just the avalanche of points. But even after Pittsburgh got things stabilized and bad job by everybody on the offensive side, Ben Roethlisberger, despite throwing for 500 yards, had four interceptions in this game, including some truly wretched picks when the game was hanging in the balance. But you have to put it on the defense a little bit too, Wes, I thought, because there were times when, yes, they strung together a couple stops to get the game close, but when they had a chance to really squeeze the Browns in the second half and really put the pressure on and give the Steelers' offense a chance to steal this game, they never could do it. And this was supposed to be one of the best defenses, if not the best defense in football. Well, you know, Collinsworth pointed to some miscommunication because of the injuries they've had there, but still had T.J. Watt. They still had Cameron Hayward. They still had... Stephon to it. They still had all these great players on their defense. There's no excuse for for kind of laying over time and time again when when the offense wants to get back in the game and you can't get a stop. Right. I I give so much credit though to Stefanski and what you know he's installed. I think you only win by adjusting your game plan week to week. It's very much a Patriots thing, I and mean, like like everyone does it. But they came out with a totally different game plan than they did a week ago. I mean, Baker, Next Gen Stats, had some good stuff about how he was throwing the ball faster uh, than he did the entire season tonight. And so that's partly why Van Pelt stayed so aggressive. While Mike Tomlin is punting on a fourth and one, if that's anyone else, I mean, that, he, he was the first coach to punt the ball in that scenario, which is over the 40-yard line um, and down by at least 10 points. Uh, on a fourth and one in a decade. And the last person to do it was playing a meaningless Week 17 game. Before that, it was 15 years. That was It was crazy. Whereas Van Pelt took that punt, and he's calling passes. While a lot of people on Twitter, and Sky it was Neil's question to me also in that in that break, of like, why aren't they just you know pound, running the ball? Because they know who they are. They're the Cleveland Browns. They're an offensive team. And you know what was working tonight is those short passes. And they did that. They're adjusting week to week. They changed their game plans. And they do it based on their opponent. And they're smart. And they went for it. And you mentioned, like, people got to deal with, with Chubb and Hunt, Wes. I'd throw Jarvis Landry in that mix, man. I mean, yes. every night, every game when there's a big play to be made, whether it was the touchdown early to set the tone or the third and five where Baker absolutely needed someone and, and things are falling apart. Jarvis Landry makes a play. That guy's a dog. Week after week. The Steelers are the first team since 2015 to punt when down at least 28 from inside their opponent's 40-yard line. There were 11 such that punts. That too. That was not even the one I was mentioning. I guess there were crazy. 11 such punts in the last 20 seasons prior to Sunday night, and none happened in the first half. So, like, you know what? I, I said uh, you get on Big Ben, 
for four picks and Marquis Pouncey for firing that ball over his head and the running game for being stuck in mud as usual. Uh, and the defense for not getting a stop when it counts. But, hey, Mike Tomlin, too. It was just a, a, a wretched night for the Steelers, a dark night for that organization that now has to figure out where they are going forward. We have plenty of time uh, to talk about where the Steelers move on from here. Where we, What we do know, Mark Sessler, is that the Browns move on to face the Kansas City Chiefs at Arrowhead. And, listen, I'm not, I will not play this card, but it's worth saying. This feels like a house money game for the Cleveland Browns now. This is a huge success this season. Uh, you're now 12 and five with a playoff win over the hated Steelers and you're going into Kansas City. You get killed. Hey, listen, you got beat by Patrick Mahomes. You win. Oh, you blow the roof off the place. Uh, so it feels like a good spot for the Browns to show up loose and ready to play. Well, I feel the same way. I think that this, the, the Brown Steelers thing and in, in West, you mentioned it. It's a big brother, little brother. It's trying to play your dad in the driveway and, you know, the basketball hoop, that kind of thing. And at some point in life, um, you you find a way to, to, to squeak out a victory. Um, the Chiefs are a whole different matter. And I, I watched this entire game standing up. I think I sat for maybe two seconds the entire game. That game, <laughs> I'm not trying to say it's – I'm with you, Dan, where it's just like I, I'll, I'll appreciate that they've got to that point, and we'll, that's a great test. Um, but the last thing I will say is that I hope each of us um, – find happiness rooting for or being agnostic um, and enjoying football in whatever way we do in each other's presence. I didn't think this would happen until I was 72. I always thought it would happen when I was like near the end and, and I'd be texting you guys from like a island in the Caribbean or something that it's happening while we're still doing the show um, means something to me. It does mean something that we were on sky during all this because they've been our allies. And so I, I feel thankful um, and I'm not, I know that I don't like, uh, Rah rah and jump around in a jersey and all this stuff, but I inside I do feel it quite a bit. The man's so. still wearing a sports coat right now. He is a professional. I'm not. Cha- I wasn't going to change my clothes at all. End. I wasn't going to hey, change. My I get clothes, it. So, yeah. And you know it. what? You might have sent Big Ben into retirement. Either way, you sent him into infamy. Those interceptions. How about that? And That's before good for now, before I turn it over to West for the final word, I want to give uh, uh, this quote, which will be etched into stone of this rivalry. Juju Smith-Schuster, I think they're still the same Browns team I play every year. I think they're nameless gray faces. They have a couple good players on their team. But at the end of the day, I don't know. The Browns is the Browns. Not anymore, Juju. Wes, (laughs) thank you for coming on. Any final thoughts before you sign off and hit the hay? Uh, I had my pain pump implanted. Hopefully, rounding a curve here. Hopefully, be able to be on on the show a little bit more frequently in the coming weeks. Um, thanks to everyone who's reached out. Appreciate all the uh, all the fond uh, sentiments in the past few weeks. Very nice, looking good, Wes. Sounded good. Thank you yeah. for joining us. We love you, buddy. We love you. Love you guys too. There he goes, Chris Wessling, the king of West Cincinnati. Let's, uh, we're just getting started here. The Browns advance. Uh, let's see who else gets to move on to the NFL's version of the Elite Eight. Next stop, Superdome. Looking goal from the six. Murray the tailback. Deontay Harris motioning over to the left side. Now back to the right. Breeze fakes it. Looking for someone to throw to under pressure. He dumps it underneath. Latavius Murray at the five across the goal line. Touchdown! Latavius Murray. 
Zach Streif and Deuce McAllister of WWL. It wasn't the cakewalk we all expected, but the Saints took care of business on Sunday at the Superdome, getting two touchdown throws from Drew Brees and another rock-solid performance from their defense. 21-9 win over the Bears. New Orleans advanced to the divisional playoffs for the third time in four years where they'll meet Tom Brady and the Bucks in the most hotly anticipated showdown between two 40-something quarterbacks in the history of our league. Greg, the Saints did what they had to do here and uh, greater challenges await. Right, this felt like uh, the most knock-it-out playoff game I can remember. I think this is going to happen sometimes now with the seven seed in. Oh, don't like, say that. They need. They got to <laughs> lose. I know it's big money for the NFL to add playoff games. Just but every once if, in a while. If yeah. that's what this is going to be, where we lose the second seed, the bye on week 17, and the drama, and then we get dogs like this every year, uh-uh. Well, I, here's here's the flip side. Um, the best game of the weekend, I would say, uh, was Bills Colts. So that was the other two seven, and that that helped uh, an eleven win team get into the playoffs. All right, with Philip Rivers, um, fair retort. You know, like so. So you never know how it's going to go. Now that said, I think we have these playoff games anyways in a normal year. It does feel like a come down after this nice moment we all just shared. Wes is on the show. We're celebrating the first Browns victory in the playoffs <laughs> since 95. We got to talk about, you know, the Saints winning a game where they had 5.1 yards per play against the Bears. It it was it was a little much, but it it proved what we've said all year about the Saints that they can win different kinds of ways. And I I personally believe Player for player, it's the best team around Drew Brees that they've had. I mean, you, there'll, there'll be some others that are close, but it's a really good defense. It's a it's a good offensive line. It's a good running game. Now Michael Thomas is back. I, Drew Brees may or may not hold them back. I think that that's going to play out over the next couple of weeks. Uh, we'll see. I think they have to be thrilled just that they moved past this and that they get an opponent that they're very comfortable with uh, in Tampa in New Orleans next week. So I, I don't take too much from this game. It's almost like it's almost like when teams were playing the Jets. I know it's a playoff team, but it's like I, they did what they needed to do and they moved on. I'm with you, and they, they ran into a Bears team that— Unnecessary to bring up the Jets in any context there, but go on. Felt a little, felt a little unnecessary. I just meant we kept saying that during the year. Like, what did I learn about this team, home team. team this yeah. week? My point was, I don't know what I learned about the Saints this week. That's all. I, yeah, I think that's fair. It's like they they just had to sort of white knuckle through this thing, you know, and and, and they did. And you, were, uh, the Bears, to me, um, you know, bigger picture. I I I'm kind of glad this game happened. Because for the Bears, because you, you don't come out of the season with um, hopefully like delusions of grandeur about who your coach is, your general manager, your quarterback, your offense, your scheme. Bears gave them a tough fight early on. They really did. But they're also sloppy. There were um, unnecessary penalties. Uh, to me, it, it was a meltdown moment to have Anthony Miller um, get disqualified um, for falling for C.J. Gardner-Johnson's antics, which every <laughs> everyone knows that C.J. Gardner-Johnson, um, that's what he does. And I mean, he's like, gotten three guys. He's gotten three guys. He's gotten two guys kicked out of the games, and he's got Michael Thomas suspended. I, right. mean, I don't and know if, if anyone's ever had a run like well, this. Well, and, and who was who was the player um, that a dropped the uh, 
trick play bomb that would have completely changed the complexion of the game. Javon Wims, right? And he's the same player that threw a punch at Gardner Johnson earlier in the year. One of the most unnecessary um, well, Johnson weird punch. Was- Gardner Johnson was wearing a helmet, no less. Sure. I mean, like, just so it's Idiot. like the Bears, to me, um, are they a team that you could say, wow, they, if anything, they, they're they a team built of composure? No, it's the opposite. And, and, and on top of it, like, the offense, I, you know, played a real defense today. And that, Greg, you're right, that the defense surrounding Drew Brees right now is completely different than in, in years past. And, and so, you know, they match up well with the Bucks, and this game fades into the distance, as does yeah. the, the the opponent. Yeah, I thought the mirage of the Bears, quote-unquote, surge was exposed last week in Green Bay, um, or in Chicago it was when the Packers put it on Mitch Trubisky, and you, you saw, you know, how the Bears looked when they weren't playing the worst defenses in football. So this was just kind of an extension of that. And from just the pure game standpoint, because I agree, I think it helps them perhaps in the long term because, you know, after these last two weeks, there are no questions about Trubisky. You know, oh, maybe we should keep him around. I was like, no, you should start fresh. Uh, you didn't pick up his option, and now he didn't show you enough to change your mind on that. Um, Matt Nagy, that's a decision that needs to be made. Um, you could you could argue, I know Nagy's not a very popular figure on this show, but you could argue um, that, you know, the fact that they were down four points late in the third quarter in this game showed uh, something, you know, in Nagy and his ability to keep this team competitive. But there's there's such a razor-thin margin of error in this type of matchup. So when Javon Wims drops that pass, and Trubisky didn't do much the whole day, but that was a dime to a wide-open receiver. And it's one of the worst drops you'll ever see. It, the die was cast on the game at that point. It's like, okay, the Bears aren't here to do something special. And New Orleans kind of played their part in it. They're like, all right, we know there's nothing really dramatic or fun going on here. We're just going to grind this thing out. Uh, and that's what they did. <laughs> I, I, we'll have a chance to talk about them in the preview show and, and on Tuesday. But it's a concern. Their first six drives, they had seven points in a turnover. And and they weren't playing the Bears from the first half of the season. They were playing a Bears team missing their, what I think was probably their best player this year, Roquan Smith. I think he had a better year even than Khalil Mack. They were missing Buster Screen and, and Jalen Johnson, two starters. And so that's a concern. And I've Mooney, seen, who was an important part of their yeah, offense. Right, M- Mooney on offense. So I think that's a concern for the Saints offense, but... Like, he, he's working hard for yards. Breeze threw 39 passes for 265. Um, reminds me of a couple weeks ago where he, he threw about 50 to get to 300. You know, it, they're work, they're working hard for yards. It's a different type of team. But they also, their coaches are so good. Like, when they came out of halftime, they did totally adjust. And then they go to the touchdown, touchdown to win the game, you know, going away. This should have been 28-3. to three. Like, if they didn't, take you know, overturn Breeze's touchdown right at the goal line and then Mitch uh, puts up a garbage time one at the buzzer, it was 28-3. to three. So the score even feels a little misleading. He went, yeah, yeah, there Mitch was also a crazy— there was also a crazy punt in this game. I mean, the Bears are punting down three scores with like seven minutes to go in the game. It's like, I I guess we, I'm asking with some of these scenarios, it's like, if you're Matt Nagy, and that's sort of been your, like, you've, he's been critiqued for that kind of stuff before. What are you doing? What are you suggesting to your own team when you're punting down well, that? The same thing, but it's the same thing we say about Sean McVay. We don't give him heat for it. It's like I do. He I doesn't. Do well, about- I'm, not, I'm not talking specifically game management decisions. I'm talking about 
Sean McVay doesn't trust Jared Goff, and he coaches that way. That's exactly, I think, the way Nagy feels about Trubisky, and it, it affects his decision-making in terms of being aggressive because he simply doesn't trust his quarterback to, to help him out. I just I don't mean, like these teams that have to just trust their defense. It's like it's all on our defense because the Bears' defense honestly played a really good game. And yep. they still, they still, in the end, it wasn't nearly enough. Even, like, this is not 1971. How many, how many teams, I mean, again, not to give Nagy too much credit, but how many teams down three scores with three minutes to play have a fourth uh, a fourth and goal stop? You know, they, they kept the Saints out of – they played hard that whole right. game. They just Pagano. did not get help. And I think Pagano – they play hard for Pagano, who was all pumped up in this game. I think that's the other takeaway, Greg, which you hit on, that – much was made of Drew Brees, Michael Thomas, Alvin Kamara, finally all in the field together. But ultimately, you know, it's become clear now at this stage of the game with Brees, who's almost certainly in his final games of his career, that the this attack is just not, it doesn't pack the punch it once did. So you're just not going to get the 30 to 40 point explosions of yesteryear most weeks. And it's going to be a defense. Even the Saints are going to be a team that I think relies more on their defense than the offense. Yeah, Thomas looked good though, so I think that matters. They just and they haven't played many games together. To be fair to them, so you know, as they work through this, you know, in their mind, hopefully they get better each week. When when the Bears just decided to run the ball before halftime instead of trying to score in a seven to three lead to just kill the clock, <laughs> that that to me was like the ultimate game over. And I don't trust my quarterback. We should mention. Um, the, the Nickelodeon broadcast. So I think that's the only thing that saved this game, at least in terms of juice. I don't know what that is, but I like it. What is it? I don't know either. I didn't. I was. I watched it alone uh, because my wife and kids uh, left the house, so I had no reason to put on the children's program. But Twitter was all a flutter about. I only did a little, but Walker loved it. My son, he, he, they were watching in the the room. I was back in the bedroom, but I, you know, I went and checked it out and. And they were they were. It's a good idea. The slime, well, the SpongeBob, and they were like learning things. Like it, it was good. It was we good. watched about an hour of the game that way, and um, it there were clear advantage, like clear wonderful things for y- like young viewers learning um, football, and they threw a lot of little animation in, and they in their first down. Um, Stripe was um, very defined in a way that kids would would love. Um, there was also in the game, though. You know, you've got a player punching someone. Um, you there was a there was a very audible f bomb dropped on Nickelodeon, which I don't think they were planning for. So you know, I give Nate Burleson and friends a lot of credit for um, you know getting them out of some tough corners too. Burleson is just clearly good at this too. I mean, in, you put him in any format, he seems to succeed and explain the game very well. Don't put uh, Lewis Riddick in the booth for Nickelodeon. <laughs> but no, yeah. To say some <laughs> By the way, that salty. was SpongeBob. It just came out so loud I couldn't really like I know what SpongeBob sounds like, but I didn't I couldn't tell. Lewis Riddick dropping SpongeBob. the brown word out of nowhere in the middle of a telecast uh today was one of my favorite. You know, it was an interesting day from a broadcasting perspective. You had Riddick um saying this is electric. You had the Nickelodeon broadcast and everything that was going on with that. You had poor Tony I'm Romo, uh, you know, oh, yeah. in a closet somewhere in parts unknown, uh, looking pale and struggling not to talk over Jim Nance, who's from the, at the Superdome uh, in the latest COVID-19 madness. Uh, it was just, you know, these little uh, details of a very long weekend of football. We felt their pain. The, the talking over each other when you have a delay and you're mm. in different places on TV. It's like, we all right, if, if, if it happens to Tony Romo, I don't feel as bad. Yeah, that's true. All right. Let us uh, 
keep moving to the first game of Sunday. On third and nine, Jackson to throw. Steps up, pocket collapsing. He escapes. Piece to the 40-yard line. 35-30. Lamar Jackson to the 20. Leg race 10-5. And he's pushed out of bounds at the one-yard line. No! Signal is touchdown. <laughs> Lamar Jackson. On third and nine, he takes it to the house. And the Ravens an extra point away from tying it up. Jerry Sandusky with the call. WBAL. The hay was not in the barn at that point, but that was... The turning point. Lamar Jackson shot through a muddy pocket, entered open space, then used that 4-3 speed to outrun half of the Titans' defense on a 48-yard score. It was the big turning point, a 20-13 win over the Titans at Nissan Stadium. It's the first playoff win of Jackson's career, so he gets that monkey off his back, and it sets up the Ravens for a division-round clash with the Bills next weekend at Orchard Park. Um... I believe Jackson deserves a lot of praise uh, for his play in this game. Um, but when I was watching this game, what I couldn't get over was what Don Wink Martindale and the Ravens defense did. Um, they've been playing better all season. I mean, the back half of the season, they were they were, they were cresting along with the offense. It was the whole team was uh, improving vastly as things played out down the stretch. But you wondered what would happen. Uh, when you played a big-time offense. And what was a bigger offense this season than the Titans? To completely shut down the Titans' offense as they did, holding Derrick Henry to 40 yards on 18 carries, uh, to harass Ryan Tannehill to the point where he just was not himself and was never able to get clicking with A.J. Brown. And, of course, the Marcus Peter with that, Peters with a huge interception that essentially sealed the game. That was such a uh, unforeseen development to me because I thought this game had shootout written all over it. But the Ravens, again, that organization has run so well that they always find a way. Even when you think that they won't, they they always do. And their injuries on defense throughout this year kind of were overlooked compared to the offense, but they had problems there too. And they had COVID issues too. And you're right, they're... They, they always find a way to improve. That was the lowest yardage in any Titans game since the game that Marcus Mariota was benched for Ryan Tannehill, which oh, to wow. me is like that's the inflection point of this organization. So for, for Baltimore to dominate it like that defensively, they're, they're really hard to prepare for. But it's also partly, you know, you give Lamar Jackson and the offense credit because part of it is they only had nine drives. It's like it, there wasn't much time. The Ravens, it wasn't their peak offensive performance, but they once they got it going after the first quarter, ultimately they went on these five-minute drives, whether it finished in a touchdown or a field goal. It, it shortened the game, and I love the end of the game. I, I always love this more than anything. The Browns are great at this, but it, it says so much. When the other team's like knows you're going to run at the end and you and you do run and and that's how you finish the game when they know it's coming man i just it feels like as a fan there must be nothing more satisfying cuz when the when the ravens got the ball back after that interception which by Tannehill, which everyone's going to remember is kind of like oh that ended the game there was like 2:30 left in in some timeouts like there was no rule that the ravens couldn't go three and out right there but they basically just ran it down their throats and the game was over and that was that was a ravens type of statement win well and i would i'd point to how you know the first quarter went how this game opened that you know AJ Brown and and Tannehill 
were on fire. And, and I didn't know if, if, if Baltimore had an answer for A.J. Brown early on. And, you know, he's a little streaky. He'll be, he'll be super electric and then, um, you know, typically get like an ankle injury and vanish for a quarter. It seems like I feel like that's eight games in a row that seems to happen to him. But he, you know, Baltimore fell into the same corner they did a year ago. And I think the playoffs are just a little bit different where it's not week eight um, buried on some, you know, B team network uh, feed where, where everyone's watching and it's like the same questions are being asked about Lamar Jackson. And I thought that the Titans did a really good job early on of bottling up Lamar Jackson, forcing him to run um, horizontally. And, but when his runs started to become vertical and we saw that incredible touchdown run and, um, but that wasn't the only one. There were a bunch of, um, he just he gashed them over and over that you could feel the tight the, the Ravens working their way out of that 10 nothing hole working their way out of what happened last year and simply seizing power and i think they've kind of, they were they came an inch away from being broken and then i think they broke the titans and, and everything that you'd want out of a titans win which would be get up early have derrick henry start to take over because even in last year's game against the ravens it was derrick henry late in the game in the fourth quarter where he went nuts um he never it never happened today he had like 40 yards around 2.1 yards per carry or something like that and um they did their job and so i'm so with you dan that like in this coaching carousel that seems to you know discard people from a year ago greg roman had a great second half coaching wink martindale had an incredible four quarters in general outside of the first couple drives. So these I mean, Ravens look, assistants are as great of a candidate as you could find. Ar, you know, Ar- Arthur Smith is every day. He's like loading up on interviews. Everybody wants to talk to Arthur Smith. And meanwhile, Martindale outcoached him in this game. And it, I think the reason why, because it was 10 nothing at the end of the first quarter and uh, Lamar had thrown a truly hideous interception, the ugliest interception we've seen in the playoffs so far, I would say. Uh, and it all seemed like it was playing out all over again the nightmare for the Ravens but the difference is is like the whole team came to play so when Lamar slumped early with the throw and wasn't making plays with his legs the defense kept things under control and then when Lamar found his footing and again it was third and long at midfield uh, they're uh, down 10-3 at the end of the first half and that 48 yard touchdown run Mm. changed everything and after the game uh, here's what John Harbaugh had to say about that run uh, it's one of the best runs I've ever seen. It's the best run I've ever seen by a quarterback. I mean, I, I think it's even greater than the Cincinnati run he had a year or two ago. I mean, that's just a phenomenal play. Uh, what effect it had, I think it, it had a big effect on it. It just got us back in the game. I mean, we needed we needed points at that point. It got us back in the game. Psych- psychologically, I really don't know, but it made me feel a lot better, I can tell you that. I don't know if it was the best run ever by a quarterback, but I get why he said that because it, it almost, in addition to tying the game and – and putting uh, Baltimore back on its feet, uh, it, it seemed to almost exercise some of those Lamar demons at that point because he had had this impact special play that just changed the game. And then just purely from like the uh, um, pure athleticism of it, that's what makes him so much different. So anybody quarterback, Tyler Heineke, for instance, not to take anything away from him, we'll get to him in a little bit, he can escape from a muddy po- pocket and get into the second level of defense. But Lamar's ability to then hit the turbo button and just run away from five different defenders who all have an angle on him <laughs> is something that we've never seen. And I guess that's why Patrick Claibon's in love. Right. I mean, Kenny Vaccaro, the Titan safety, like 
Jackson hadn't even passed him yet, and he just started jogging after him. It was one of the funniest replays. Like he didn't even. He was. Done. I mean, they they should make fun of him for that. But he was just like, okay, I'm a, I'm along for the show. You almost take it for granted. I mean, he ran for one thirty six. You know, they they ran for two thirty six. He was one thirty six of that, and he started getting to the outside in the second half. But but his throws to the outside were really big today. You know, that's he busted some narratives. Not that these should really exist exactly. We know, you know, he has strengths and weaknesses, but, you know, they hadn't come back from down 10 with him. Okay, you did that. Uh, you, you know, you don't throw it to the outside. Well, today that was where they really did throw it well to the outside. Oh, Hollywood Brown's kind of a, you know, doesn't show up in the big moments. Well, he went 7 for 109 on a lot of throws to the outside. So it was like a lot of... A lot of good narrative bustings for Lamar to just move past, and I, I love seeing guys. I mean, I love Lamar too, just because no one's, no one's ever. There's never been anyone quite like him. When John Harbaugh says that, it might be like the you know, it's got to be one of the most important runs a quarterback's ever had because it's not like, it's not like there's any other quarterbacks running for 50 yards in a playoff, you know, in a key moment in a playoff game. Just it hasn't happened before. We haven't seen that. And it's a bitter way for the Titans to go out because. All season, their offense was special, and and you worried, oh, man, this defense is going to get him killed in a big spot. And for them to lose in a game, is we're singing the praises of Lamar, but still 20 points the Ravens scored in this game. Like The Tennessee defense, as bad as it's been all year, that's that was a good performance from them. They played really overall. well early on, and, they, and so, they, got, they, they sacked him. Like, they got—everyone said they can't rush the pass, right, they did. This, and so, I mean, I think the thing that just—it flipped, like— 16, 17 minutes into the game. I mean, it was all Titans early. That's mm. frustrating for the Titans because well, you would Ra- think if you would have told the Titans fans, oh, your your defense is actually going to hold Lamar Jackson to 20 points, you're you're playing in the division round playoffs. So yep. the fact that it didn't work out that way, that was a big surprise. Yeah. I mean, they, they didn't in, in some key spot. You know, they get the touchdown late in the second quarter and then they come out after after him. You're right. Roman, I think, brought out, you know, they, they did a good job on the telecast talking about it. some concepts. You know, they saved it for the second half. I do wonder if Stefanski did that, too. Like more teams are doing that where they're scripting the start of the second half. Um, before the games even start, like sit, let's let's save using you know Patrick Ricard as our our uh, main option suddenly uh, for the second half. But you got, I mean, Vrabel drove me crazy here. The the punt that that Vrabel had. Oh my God! Don't get me started on, on that. fourth and two. It's not just that, like, of course the number, you know, and the analytics say, of course you go for it. Fourth and two, you're you're. I think right 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 about the forty, 40 right the 40, forty down a touchdown. You're an offensive team. Like you have Derrick Henry, right? You've been an offensive team all year, and they showed very little faith in Derrick Henry all day. That was not the only time that they couldn't convert short yardage. There was about three other drives that ended on them getting stuffed on uh, not getting stuffed, like getting stuffed on a second and three, and then throwing the ball. They they didn't give the ball to Henry in those situations. It was wild. Not not a great performance by uh, Artie Smith there, uh, or really anyone on the Titans connected to the Titans office uh, offense. Tough loss. Um. All right. Good stuff. That was Sunday. Now we move to. Been a long couple of days. <laughs> Mark's like, get me to that beer. Well, Saturday <laughs> night. <laughs> Give me some Gene Decker off. Dropping deep. Brady throws the ball to the right side. He's got to be open. Antonio Brown, 3-2-1. Touchdown, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. 
Brady finds AP. <laughs> what is that? And Antonio Brown takes it in to the paint of the Play end that zone. again, Ricky. I got to hear what what is what was going right. on. In the Dropping background. deep, Brady throws the ball to the right side. He's got to be open. Antonio Brown, three, two, one, touchdown, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. <laughs> Brady finds it's Antonio AP Brown. Is what it is. At the five. And oh, wow. I remember that from the television to broadcast. The he was going absolutely nuts, and there's no crowd noise to drown Antonio Brown out. It kind of sounds like Sessler in that old back shed that he had in his previous residence. It does not. That is not. It sounded a, like an animal being tortured. What's he doing back there? <laughs> Gene Deckerhoff, WFUS with a call. Tom Brady played his 42nd playoff game on Saturday night. And his first without Bill Belichick on the sideline. The performance, vintage Brady, 381 yards, two touchdowns, and a 31-23 win over the Washington football team. Mark Tyler Heineke made this game more interesting than it had any right to be. But the Bucks move on to face the Saints next week at the Super Bowl. They took care of business. Um, this game was one where, you know, I, we went, you know, we were on Sky all weekend and I went on and called Tyler Heineke, um, just sort of a, the kind of a quarterback patch that would be attached to like a Thursday night, meaningless Thursday night game um, with very <laughs> few eyeballs in it. And then he proceeds to electrify um, Tampa's defense. And I don't know, to the point where you've got people wondering if he might be um, the quarterback of the future for them, or at least oh, like, no. well, I would just say at least pulls the, um, like a Colt McCoy type move where he will be in the league for 10 years because there's That's something your move, about Sessler. him. You're the guy. I, I thought about that when, I don't remember who called this game, but someone said, uh, well, if nothing else, Tyler Heineke just got a job for the next decade. I was like, that's Mark's corner. He's the guy that declares which backup works for the next decade. He's years. right, though. He's I right. think it's fair, though, because I don't think it takes no, too much true. to get into that circle. And, you know, he's sort of a coach's dream. And, and, and they gave the, the Bucks a fight, but I think kind of lost in the Heineke um, verve was that Tom Brady – was lights out, and you know, and this at this point, this is tired at this point. But um, how different of a world we live in with athletes, because they show that side by side comparison of Tom Brady with George Blanda, and and Tom Brady has been um, getting microderm abrasion, and uh, you know is is well <laughs> hydrated, and George Blanda smoked cigarettes and drank like you know low grade forty ounces. So that shows you what happens to our body depending on how we treat it. And Tom Brady is thriving and looking to me as good as he has. I mean, the the, the Bucks are a little streaky, but. They're real dangerous, and I, I'm not. I, I know everyone like the Saints have knocked them out twice. Um, I have no idea what will happen next. Yeah, the the game went so counter to to expectations. I mean, because the Bucks' offense did whatever they wanted to. They could have had more than 31 in this game. And Washington's offense, you know, kind of put it to Todd Bowles. So I think got too cute, too aggressive. It's a boomer bust defense. You know, they had some bad luck, uh, like the. Washington offense, or they could have scored even more too. There was that tipped interception. That, you know, they had some opportunities. I think they moved the ball well. Like uh, they weren't ready for Heineke. It, it was really an offensive game. But but man, Breeze, some of those early throws, like there was a third and ten to Miller to keep a drive alive. It's just like a bullet in a dime. I know, like there's other old quarterbacks playing well, but none of them look like Brady. I mean, Breeze doesn't look like Brady. Ben doesn't look like Brady. Rivers playing well, he doesn't look like Brady. I mean, if you protect him and he's got a really good offensive line who really, for the most part, shut down Washington, he he's spinning it, you know, as well as anyone. He really Chase is. Young, crazy. Chase Young's the latest guy to talk, talk, talk. 
Uh, and, you know, I guess some of these, these pass rushers coming in, into the combine for their interviews with Colleen and, and others, uh, it's become almost part of the game. Who do you want to sack the most? And then that person inevitably says Tom Brady because he's the most famous quarterback. And then that gets uh, play, played up uh, when the two sides eventually meet. Um, only in this case, Chase Young kind of doubled down on it and had fun with it. But then you got you to gotta do something about it, Chase. You can't do not much at all and then limp to the sideline with a sprained ankle. I think that has been um, – I think Brady is so savvy in how he handled everything um, when he didn't – he saw that the Patriots weren't doing the right thing to build up around him in a way that would allow him to finish his career in New England. He said, I'm leaving. And then he found uh, the perfect offense. Not just the everybody latched on to the skill players – and there were plenty for him to play football with. But the offensive line, which has allowed him to still be Tom Brady, I mean, uh, unbelievable. That's what the – and I – when I was trying to figure out what the upset of the week was, and it turned out to be the Browns, I thought Washington, okay, they're going to get – they're going to, you know, cook up some heat on Brady and he's going to get pissed off. But they, ne- that never happened. That never materialized. And once that happened, I was like, oh – this is going to be a blowout. Uh, so to Heineke's credit, and he kind of looks like Ryan Phillippe, and he's got some arm tats also. So there's a little yeah, edge to Heineke. I'm kind of into Heineke, uh, not in a physical way, but just kind of in like, oh, he's kind of interesting to me. Um, he, he had the bad tweet like the next day after. Did the, he? Like, everyone found – not he didn't have any, but they, they found – he has been in some social oh, bad media tweets. hot water. Yeah. Over, okay. Over that, yeah. that makes perfect sense uh, <laughs> because he looks like Ryan Phillippe with all the ink. But uh, good for him for, for, for keeping that game – interesting on a Saturday night. I want to give if Taylor Heineke does nothing else yep. he allowed that game to be interesting in prime time on Saturday. Yeah, the, the one last thing I, I want to say on this game was you know what? It didn't look like the Bucks offense anymore though. They had, they were playing like two, three tight ends the whole game. They were doing play action the whole game. You know, it looked like the Patriots offense. I, I don't know if they're going to continue that, but I, I think if you're a Bucks fan, you got to be encouraged that it was a it was a pretty hard left turn. They have not played with that like heavy personnel, and that's what they thought they needed to do to protect them. Gronk Gronk barely went out on a pass route. I mean, and um, that that sort of flexibility to me screams Patriots. It does not it does not look like the normal chuck it up Bruce Arians. I like I like the Brady Cameron Braid connection last night and. Mm-hmm. Getting a few more people involved. I mean, I don't love their ground game. I, that's the one thing is that they get stuck in that situation. But look at we we talk about well, Antonio Brown. Ronald Jones is healthy, uh, but if you're if you're depending on Leonard Fournette, it's not going to be. I mean, long. even with him, it's just not it's just not their signature to me. But like, um, but then you've got Antonio Brown getting better and better every week, and I, it's a dangerous team. Uh, since Tampa Bay's Week 13 by Brady has thrown 14 touchdowns. One interception over five straight wins. Compare that to the four games before the Bucks by when Brady had eight touchdowns and seven picks and the, the Tampa Bay lost three or four. It got pretty mm. dark there for a while, but now uh, it, it's feeling really good. And this is going to be a great uh, game again next week uh, between New Orleans and Tampa Bay. A lot of fun. All right. Oh, did we talk about the extremely flattering for uh, Tom George Blanda side by side graphic? We've we mentioned. I mentioned Mark my did, my yes. take on that, but you could if you okay, have anything okay. to add. I don't have anything to add. I was no. doing some behind the scenes work with Ricky while you guys were having, I'm sure, breathlessly awesome conversation. <laughs> the Blanda thing did come up, so I don't need to add anything to it. It's Good. Box checked. Let's move on. <laughs>
The motion he looks younger to the left than side, away from Ramsey <laughs> again. Throw the bubble. It picked. It picked. Darius Williams jumped it, and he's going to house it. A pick six. A defensive touchdown, and the Rams extend their lead. Oh yeah, you know who that is. JB Long, friend of the show, KSPN with the call. Darius Williams jumped the route in a way that you just don't see on a wide receiver screen. Uh, picked off the Russell Wilson pass, 42 yards for a score. Cam Akers rushed for a buck 31 and a touch, and the Rams beat the Seahawks 30 to 20. It was Seattle's first home loss in the Pete Carroll era. Mark, the Rams are moving on because their defense is special, maybe the best in the league. Maybe, definitely, definitely, maybe. I'd say definitely, and it. it I, I, I'm not typically someone that you know in mid-January is going to. I guess increase my faith in a team with an offense I don't trust a whole lot um, with quarterback issues um, and a strong defense. But the Rams, the Rams, I do. I, I really think that they. I, I think they'd be a hot candidate to upset whoever they deal with down the stretch because of what they, because of Brandon Staley the way they're organized because of Aaron Donald if he's going to be healthy he's got issues health wise going into the next game and what they did to Seattle I mean I think that you know the Seahawks could not stop LA's ground game but on offense they could not convert third downs um, they made the biggest mistake in the game what we just heard the pick six. And I was sitting there watching this thing. And this game also, by the way, I, I don't know if it was you guys or if it was just the time in the day. Was this game seven and a half hours long? I don't know how long it, it was. was a really, it was literally a, a long game. I think it was the longest game of the weekend. Remember, we, we yeah, it, it went almost all the way until the next kick, kickoff. It, it really did. And, and, and look, at, I get that Jared Goff, um, first of all, I mean, I have been really hard on Jared Goff. I think a lot of people, it's... It's chic to be down on Jared Goff right now um, for for good reason, but he had he does have like pins that were just inserted into his finger less than a couple weeks ago, so I don't think that he was in a good position to be doing what he was asked to do. But I cannot remember a playoff game between two quarterbacks that led their teams to Super Bowls, um, and in mm. this game, like the most putrid offensive output that I can recall between two quarterbacks of that nature. It was it was a hard watch. It was a long game. It was a hard watch. And Greg, I thought you had a, one of the tweets of the weekend when you talked about Whoa. how... Hey, now. Can well, we no, get some fancy I, I do. drop for that? You know. No, but right, everyone, like you're saying, Go. everyone says they love defensive football until they have to... In, correct me if I'm misquoting you, but until they have to actually sit and watch it. It's yeah. like th- these are two defensive teams where they want to be, and it's like this game was. Um, Wait, but aren't you the same? I not to interrupt, but like, aren't you the same guys that I slap my forehead with that seven seven Arizona whatever game? And you're like, that's one of the best well, games here's ever. What I, I would look at. Oh, like, I look oh at Tennessee, crazy, like Tennessee Ravens today had some great defense. Um, but you've got to have real offense sprinkled in, and it's got to go back yes. and forth. This was great defense against two inept offenses. That's that's asking a little bit more. And Russell Wilson, like, listen, he's going against the Rams' defense, and they're no joke, but he doesn't have any pins in his thumb, and he played poorly. 142 passing yards, a, a completion percentage of 41%, second lowest mark of his career, and this was all part of a larger story about the Seahawks season which by the way was a strange season they, they go 12 and 4 they win their division they had stretches where the offense was awesome stretch a long stretch where the defense was great 
but they never were at the same time. And they so because of that, they were never special as a team. And now they're one and done in the playoffs. Um, that's frustrating as well because there, it should be there. You would think that Russell Wilson is going to find a way to make those plays. But even when Aaron Donald goes out of the game with the rib injury, and thankfully for the Rams, it doesn't look like a serious injury. Same thing with Cooper Cup's uh, injury late in that game. He seems to be um, possibly able to play next week as well. Even when Aaron Donald e- exits the game, Russell Wilson does not have a chance, and that's where I'll put more more on Seattle's offense as a whole, and maybe Brian Schottenheimer has something to answer to, because Russell Wilson was pressured on exactly 50% of his dropbacks. That is not sustainable, and that needs to be fixed. And, and some of that's on Russell Wilson. It's been the case throughout his career, and then in this case, some of it was not. I heard some... Whispers, people who watch this game closely, who thinks that the, the Rams' height is a is a problem for him. They're like a huge defensive line with Brockers and every everyone, and and you get some pressure up the middle with you know Brockers like six six or something. But they, all, you know most of them are pretty tall, and like he, he's not seeing he was not seeing the field for whatever reason, especially against the Rams. But really, since Week Nine, they were just a bad offense. And I would say the Rams were a bad offense. But it's the reason I picked the Rams, other than, you know, I'm going to root for who my daughter's rooting for. And the same reason why uh, Mark was locking up the Rams before he jumped off of it to a successful uh, Ravens lock. It's like, okay, if they're both bad offenses, at least... No, it was the Rams lock, then a Seahawks lock, then the oh, Ravens yeah, that's lock. right. I forgot <laughs> it. A third of Which well we teams. <laughs> we haven't yet, like, sat down and, and decided whether that's sanctioned. That's, we're going to get to that a little bit later. Well, Why no one has any power over that. I, I, it's sanctioned. <laughs> you, you, you did change it. You changed it beforehand. But, like, the, at least the, the, the Rams have this special group in this game, which is two of maybe the four best defensive players in the entire league and a really great coach. So that's, like... That's going to be a lot for Aaron Rodgers to deal with next week. Now, it, I find it very interesting. Sean McVay uh, will not give any indication early in the week who might start at quarterback. So we're going to go through this song and dance again. Um, John Walford, you know, we, we haven't even mentioned, you know, left on the first drive with what turned out to be a stinger. We didn't know what it was at the time. And like a lot of people who were, you know, thinking the Rams would win, rooting for the Rams, I, I thought, ooh, this is this is a bad development for the Rams. Like, I think Sean McVay chose John Wolford because he thought he, they gave them a better chance to win. Mix it up a little bit against a defense that knows you really well and you just played, so that's that's part of it too. And and Goff came in. He, he did just enough. They didn't really average any more yards per play than the Seahawks, but he avoided the big mistake, and it, it's just... It's just such a strange situation that, like, okay, Goff goes and wins the game, and still McVay's not saying he's he's the starter next week. It's fascinating, and uh, but they also seem like with that defense, I think they could almost beat anyone. I thought they they would have loved to play the Saints. I think they could have shut them down. It'll be a little tougher against the Packers. Wolford was mega pissed at Jamal Adams um, after that play. Adams wasn't initially they threw the flag and then they picked it up, and I believe. I think it was Collinsworth. No, I don't know who was doing the call. It's too scrambled in my mind, but said that was a bad no call. Um, Aikman. 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 Aikman said it should have, the flag should have been thrown. Um, so Wolford, that, that was a tough break for him because that was such a huge stage. Maybe, yeah, maybe he ends up getting more of a look because the other thing Aikman said, and, you know, you these guys that are plugged in that call the games, you learn a lot during the telecast that 
you know, people that were close and watching the Rams practice and the reason why Jared Goff wasn't even starting, wasn't supposed to take a snap in this game was because every fourth ball he threw came out of his hand weird and fluttered. So, mm-hmm. you know, and get, but, I mean, get, I'll give credit, Sean, Sean McVay credit too on a day where it's, you, it's hard to trust Goff and his struggles and also his injury now. Uh, when they iced the game on a third and short, they let Goff uh, throw the ball, and that resulted in the game clinching touchdown. So, uh, yes, a really nice win for the Rams, and you hope they're at full strength um, physically uh, for that game with De- Donald and Cup. Yeah, it feels like their season's kind of a success now. They've they've checked the box of like a lot of things in the McVay run. He made the playoffs his first year. You make the Super Bowl now. Okay, you get a playoff win. You obviously want you have higher aspirations, but it feels like they've kind of overachieved. I. I do think what Aikman was saying, though, he also was just saying how frustrated they were with Goff before the injury. He 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 made a point to say that, and you can kind of pick up that he's been saying that they were getting really frustrated, and they were talking about Goff's confidence. So they, you know, they just didn't feel like Goff was was confident right now, and it's crazy. But man, the the defense is playing confident. I the the last thing, sorry, is just like when when the Seahawks got the ball back at the end, it was kind of like. When when the Ravens run the ball down your throat, like it was garbage time, sort of, and the, the Seahawks really had no chance to win, but they still get sacked, and they didn't they didn't get a single first down, and they got sacked two times, and that's how you end the game. Like that that just was like a show of force. My one thing about the Rams, like last thing is like Brandon Staley, um, his star is rising, and and he's sort of anyone that's gotten close to him sees like this football lifer who is, um, you know, may not be there a couple weeks from now. Uh, he's wow. he's interviewing with the Jets. Um, the Chargers are interested. They're interviewing him, and and that's if you're a coach. And we don't ever really like see this side of it. But if he ever could become the coach of the Chargers, he doesn't have to move. Um, I don't know what his parental situation is, but his kids don't have to do, move. It's like Sounds and like you've Dable's got a franchise quarterback potentially. But Brandon Stilley may be a head coach um, a fortnight from now, which is a tremendous development for a guy that no one knew about a year ago. Aikman also said on the telecast that what he has heard is that he might be a year or two away, still might be seen as a little green on that. He's only 30 years old, but at the same time, what they're, what they're doing, what they did yesterday, what they could do next week against Aaron Rodgers, that's better than any job interview on a Zoom call exactly. that Brandon Staley could take part in. So uh, keep an eye on it. My final thought, Seattle Seahawks, thank you for the number 23 overall pick in the 2021 draft and good luck in your negotiations with Jamal Adams. I'm sure he'll be fair. Might be, might be doing a, a Brian Schottenheimer update on Tuesday. That's what my spidey senses hmm. are telling me. No, no harm to the man, but I, it just feels like that could be coming. Good luck, John Schneider. Let's move on. <laughs> Four seconds left. They get one play to make it. The Bills have lost a game on this, Murph. This is a Hail Mary situation. Find the snap. Rivers back to throw. Waiting, waiting, going for all of it down the right sideline. The pass up in the air. It is knocked down incomplete. Knocked down incomplete. Micah Hyde knocks it down, and the clock shows zero. The Bills advance. The Bills win it. The Bills win it. In the last second, the Bills win it. 27-24. Unbelievable finish. There you go. Great call by John Murphy and Eric Wood, WGR. Two guys who obviously waited a long time for that. Micah Hyde batted down Philip Rivers' desperation heave as time ran out. The final play in a 27-24 win for the Bills over the Colts. It was Buffalo's first playoff win in 25 years. Josh Allen was at it again. Passed for 324 yards, two uh, passing touchdowns, one rushing score. 
And the Bills, it wasn't easy, but they found a way. And it sets up a great, great matchup next week against the Ravens in Orchard Park. Greg, the Colts are up for the challenge in this one. They really, really made the Bills earn it. They, they missed so many chances, and even then it was it comes down to the end. I thought this was the best game of the weekend. I thought, you know, they both played well. I thought the craziest take I heard of the entire weekend was like, was an anti-Josh Allen take here, that they almost blew the lead at the end and that he had the fumble in the fourth quarter and they they could have well, you're blown, the guy, blown oh, Greg, it. Greg, in all honesty, you're the guy who's always like, it doesn't matter who recovers the fumble, a fumble's a fumble. And that was a huge fumble that they were very lucky that the offensive lineman fell on. I'll say that. No doubt. But I think to watch that game and not come away with what I believe was the reality that Allen was the best player on the field by far and had one of his better games on a day where he didn't get as much help, where the defense wasn't that good, where the run game wasn't there, where he was having to create on his own. That, that's all I mean is that mm-hmm. it, I think it was a great Josh Allen game and that if he had had like a B game, because I think the rest of the team did, you know, they, they might have gone home. Yeah, there were a lot of times in this game where Allen, you know, he, he takes a snap, drops back, and it's not there. Like, and he, you had, you, he had to go through his progressions. He had to buy time. He made those type of plays all game. So while the numbers, were, by the way, were still great, three twenty-four and three touchdowns, it, it wasn't ran, on, ran maybe, for fifty-four and a touchdown too. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't on par with the you know fantasy gold mine of December for him. But still, uh, you know, another big performance by a superstar. Yeah, I mean. It, whether or not like the overall performance matched some of the others, he's still he's becoming one of those quarterbacks that does four or five things a game that um, you know leave you dazzled. And I, my one takeaway, you know, from the cult side was, um, and it was sort of a note to self um, that I spent the week essentially sort of dismissing the Colts um, as a balanced but unremarkable team. And and yes, that may be what they are, but um, they came so close to knocking off Buffalo, which would have been a huge story here, that I think I just sort of underrated Frank Reich. And they may not have all the pieces they need on offense, but, it, you know, they for them, like, they had that one drive that uh, went all the way down to the Bills' two-yard line, and then they're stuffed. They had a drive with a killer missed field goal, and it really was just... um they had a stuffed two-point conversion as well. It was just like little tiny things that the Colts couldn't do well enough the to hang sides. around in this. They had the an offside was where a the, killer. The it was, and there were a couple killer offsides points. this weekend. That might have been the worst. It was a dropped the interception. You know that that sequence at the end of the first half was brutal because they really out. It was very similar to the Steelers game in that they really outplayed uh, their opponent in the first half. But yeah, that sequence at the goal line. Where they go for it. I don't mind them going for it. It's like, if you can't score on four straight plays from the three, and there was another short yardage situation. They were bad in short yardage all year. Greg, your boy's got to make that throw. I mean, you want to talk about the difference between Phillip Rivers and his legacy as a playoff performer. Uh, that throw where he just overshot Michael Pittman is exactly the type of throw that you That was so make. close. Yeah, that was an that. inch. That was an inch. Like, if Pittman in, in Stays, you know, some people would say if Pittman stays on his feet and just runs under it, no, oh, you know what oh, I mean? Oh, it was just like that. I'm just boy. saying it would, that was an in, inches throw. He had a Rivers had a solid but not like amazing game. I mean, the numbers actually look look crazy, but man, like they here's the stat: they cross midfield every possession, 
every they so to only end up with how many points did they get? Twenty four in the end. They they cross midfield every single possession of the game. I'd be a little worried that if I was a Bills fan that they gave up four hundred and seventy two yards. That's true, but I would point out that like in the first half, like the Bills started at their three yard line. They're four, right. they're six, they're eleven, and they're fifteen. And I think that caused some of their early issues where the Colts in the first half started on average at their own thirty six and then it mm-hmm. you know changed a little bit, but they were there was a field position issue going on early and the Bills were too powerful to pull out. I mean like the missed field goal drive for the Colts was a fourteen play drive. I, again, I think there's something a little bit different in these playoff games where if you go 14 plays the way that they did and you come away with no points and that happened on two separate drives, mm. that is a mental killer. Yeah, and we we touch on it, so I don't want to belabor it, but when they cannot convert on that fourth down pass to Pittman, you still have the Bills backed up to give up then a 96-yard drive that includes stopping the Bills on fourth down uh, and holding him to a potentially long field goal only to get drawn offsides uh, and then give up the score. And there were two plays, uh, two long completions to Gabriel Davis where he was inbounds by blades of field turf. I mean, Those are amazing it, just, plays. it just felt like it just wasn't meant to be for the Colts. And that I would say, like, there's no worse feeling than seeing your season end on a day when you felt like you were the better team. I Watching that, I thought the Colts were on that day. Just, yes. I would say they were better, and they just in those in those moments they just could not make the play. Whether it was the Rivers throw or the ball on the ground not falling on it, or being disciplined to stay back on that offsides call, like the inability to just make one or two plays was the difference uh, in really a, a tough loss. Yeah, it unfortunately it would kind of be a fitting way for it to end for Rivers. You know, he got the ball at the end with the chance. Felt like every Chargers game. <laughs> it was a game where, like, it looked like I am. I am with you. I think they they kind of looked like the better team that day. Very similar to the loss they had against the Steelers, where I thought they kind of like and just threw and a so bunch many of losses in, with the Chargers and Philip Rivers right, too. Right, like right. just through just like a number of things. You can't put your finger on all of them, but it was just like a little crazy. I put Frank. You know, Frank Reich's timeout usage was insane. I mean, these coaches <laughs> they. They spend all year looking for edges and little things, and then they they use timeouts for like avoiding a delay of game at the beginning of the third quarter and on terrible challenges, and and it kills you at the end. I mean, they needed those timeouts. McDermott was throwing them around like uh, like lollipops too. I mean, it drives me crazy. Yeah, I mean, it's it's I, I I love Rivers. I love watching him play, but this is just another game for him. In in this time of year, we were just left kind of scratching your head. They had. They had first and 10 at the Buffalo 45-yard line with 28 seconds to play, needing a field goal. And they never moved the yard at that point. It ended Him, with Rivers uh, heaving one down. He can't, he can't reach the end zone from 50 yards. He couldn't do it. I, I wonder where they go. I think Frank Reich already, Reich already came out and said that he wants Rivers back. Uh, but it would make sense to me. For him to be in a role where it's Rivers and like, I don't know, like a Darnold type or maybe a, a rookie that you really like. Um, but would Rivers, A, want to be in that type of Ryan Fitzpatrick setup? And B, will Phil Rivers take the pay cut that would go along with that type of 1A, B type role? Mm. Uh, it will be interesting to see what he does here. Man, poor Buck. Poor, uh, poor Colts. That was rough. Uh, 
we, we should give a little love to the Bills fans here. They just ended a, a streak that was as long as... Uh, Quarter as century. Lo- longer than the Browns, right? Or just a little less long, I guess. What was it? I mean, 20, yeah, it was a, about a year less. 25. But- so think about that. The, the Browns ended it since 94. No playoffs win. The Bills since 95. With your stars stepping up, like Stefan Diggs, he was awesome too. We should give him some love. And the Bucks since '02; those were three of the six longest, in, uh, including two of the three longest streaks in the entire NFL. It's nice to see a little new blood in the. In the well, it favorite. helps when New England doesn't make the playoffs for the first time in you know this <laughs> see entire how much better century. Better it is, Greg. Uh, my favorite image of the weekend, in fact, was the Bills fans sobbing openly. He's like a. 44-year-old father of six. I, I love that. I mean, that mean, that that meant a lot to Bills fans to be able to be in that stadium uh, and witness, uh, quite frankly, a juggernaut team like that you haven't seen since the Jim Kelly glory days. So good for the Bills. You know, they, they'll have a tough matchup uh, next week, but I, I just like their chances. They just seem like a special team. Hmm. Um, all right. I have to write a throwaway. Well, I, sh- I shouldn't label it as that. They don't want. They don't want me to say that. But I have to write an article um, about which fan base deserves a Super Bowl title the most. And where would I go with this? Would I? I mean, I, I know what I would pick. But what do you mean a throwaway? <laughs> well, you wrap it up by noon and you move on with your day, and then it you know gets released on the internet. But. I mean, your what, passion for internet writing is as a all time high. I it is right occasionally now. high. Um, it is not always, but I, I just I I don't know how to pick between Buffalo. Feels like it, it's it's right there, and Cleveland too. But I'll, I'll I, I guess wonder I'll I wonder who's gonna own. who's gonna win in this right. it, Now it seems now, absurd that I would be writing this if you think about it. Like now you'll go counter just to no. You should just go Browns anyways. Well, I should uh, I should do it one through five and make well they haven't Cleveland been in the Super make Bowl. The list. How about that? Was they that haven't even group? been in the Super Bowl, so you know the, at least the Bills got to. I would say like the Ravens too. got to like make some been, Ravens really feel been, like they are. Well, how about the Packers? Years. You like the pa- the Packers? It's they've had a lot of playoff heartbreak. actually. Actually, you know, that's tough. Yeah. yeah. I'll Packers put a tremendous fans. amount of thought into this, and um, you'll see it up there soon. And just Packers for people that, that don't know, like, throwaway is like, it's like an industry term, you know? Right. It's like, it's like, um, it's just something people use in the industry, a throwaway. It's like a, the clock puncher, you know? It's, that's, a, it's a type of way to describe your own work that you just hope your bosses never hear. Yeah, it was a, this was a good place to discuss that. No doubt about it. Well, Brown, well, Mark, this was a special day for your Browns and for Browns fans like you. Ricky, I think uh, we should play Mark out with um, a song we found on the internet that I believe originated around the time uh, the announcement was made that the Browns were uh, re-entering the NFL after the Ravens' debacle of the mid-'90s. Uh, the name of the song is, do you know it, Mark? Is it here? Erica, wake up. Is it, um, I'm going to guess it might be Here We Go Again. That is indeed the correct song. This is a crazy song. Michael Stanley and the Cleveland Browns All-Star Band, I believe in 1998. Song Drew Carey's in the video. We get it, Drew Carey. You're from Cleveland and you like sports. All right, Mark, congratulations. Thank you, guys. We're very happy for you. Listen, I locked up the Steelers. Don't even feel a little bit bad that it eventually it, it, it takes me out of the competition. Don't care. I'm happy for you. Well, thank you both. And to Wes and, and Erica. And uh, best of luck going forward. House money, baby. All right. We'll be back on Tuesday. Um, 
with another episode, and we'll break down everything that's going on in the league ahead of the divisional round playoffs, which the Cleveland Browns are playing in. This is Dan Hansa signing off for the Quiet Storm, the mailman, the old boss, and Ricky Hollywood. Until Tuesday, crank it up, Ricky. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Awards Watch says Liam Neeson is at his best. Don't miss In the Land of Saints and Sinners. Having left his dark past behind, retired hitman Finbar Murphy, played by Neeson, leads a quiet life in a remote coastal Irish town. But when a menacing crew of terrorists arrive, Finbar is drawn into a vicious game of cat and mouse, forcing him to choose between exposing his secret identity or defending his friends and neighbors. In the Land of Saints and Sinners, from Samuel Goldwyn Films and Sony Pictures Home Entertainment. Watch it now on digital. Rated R. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details.